Welcome to ASM Connected, the podcast brought to you from ASM Technologies. Across the series, we look at emerging trends and tech within the industry, meeting key speakers, futurists and business leaders from across the globe. In this episode, ASM Technologies' Ian Tomkinson and Stephen Dale are joined by futurist author and speaker Amelia Coleman. Amelia is a leading London futurist speaker and author who regularly consults brands, agencies and governments on the impact of new technologies on the future of business and our lives. She forecasts global trends and behaviours, helping clients navigate innovation, build strategies and deliver industry-leading initiatives, specialising in the emerging opportunities as well as the risks of machine learning and AI, big data, IoT and the XR. Recent areas of study include the future of the metaverse, networking, tech responsibility and the surfacing human rights issues of tomorrow. In this episode, we talk through all of this with Amelia and how the metaverse will impact every business and every part of our lives. This is ASM Connected. So welcome back to the ASM Connected Podcast Series 2. We've got another great episode for you today. We've been getting some feedback from the listeners, which is fantastic. And Ian gets to ask questions to another futurist, which I know you're getting excited about, Ian. So Absolutely. The future is, uh, is always obviously unpredictable, but these guys have got some great opinions and some great sort of insight into what's coming downstream in terms of technology, emerging tech how it plays out in different scenarios, different sectors. And this one particularly today is extremely sort of topical, really exciting. And uh, I'm quite interested in speaking to this guest in terms of some of the stuff that's been in the press recently, particularly around the subject of the metaverse, virtual reality and uh, XR. So I'd like to introduce the guest today, Amelia Corman. Hi, thanks for having me. Yeah, you're very welcome. Thanks for joining us. Amelia, such an interesting topic today that we could really go off in all sorts of directions. So we like to be focused around emerging technology, all things innovation, and a little bit of a nod as well to the importance of agility, which is really important to bringing on these new technologies. And we want to keep that focus on the very topical metaverse, virtual reality, extended reality, and all those other cool things. Really keen to hear your story, Amelia, because I know you've got a history in the sort of entertainment industry, nightclubs, and how did you get from that to being a tech futurist? That's one hell of a shift. Sure. I ask myself that question every day. (laughs) So yes, I grew up as a child actress. I studied theater in college. I went on to bring theater into nightclubs, doing cabaret and shows, and I own nightclubs. I had an illegal speakeasy in New York City, and then I had the first burlesque and cabaret nightclub in China. And it was a big success. And then that became a problem, and I got thrown out of China. And I ended up in the UK. And for two years, I didn't have a visa, so I couldn't work. And that's when I wrote my book, Diary of a Shanghai Showgirl. And then as soon as I got my visa and I could work, I needed a job, any job, I didn't care. So I had a friend who was going to an innovation conference and I said, let me go along. I'll host your booth for you. I'll network, I'll meet people, and maybe somebody will give me a job. And I was there and a couple booths over from ours was all this really cool technology. They had touchscreen tables and virtual books and holograms and early augmented reality. And I'd never seen anything like it. And I just kept going over and asking lots of questions. And then I started bringing people over and explaining to them what had been explained to me. And finally, somebody said, do you work for us? And I said, no, but I should. 
And a week later, I started as a marketing assistant at a creative technology agency. And there I worked my way up to become their global head of innovation. And I opened up innovation labs in London and Dubai. And I got to get hands on with the latest technologies. This was back in 2013. So I was introducing people to the very first Oculus Rift and Google Glass when it first came out, as well as things like IBM Watson. So it was right at the beginning of these technologies really um, emerging. And this gave me the ability to be able to explain these technologies in a way that is accessible to people today. And then in about 2017, I went freelance as an independent futurist because I felt really passionate that we needed to be able to have responsible conversations around these technologies and not just market, sell, and shift these new technologies, but also focus on risks and understanding where these technologies are potentially taking us because uh, we can't just kind of blindly go into the future. We really have to explore all possibilities. So that's what I do today. As a futurist, I talk and I write. I write reports and I and I speak and I also consult and strategize with companies about how they can integrate these new technologies into their strategies moving forward. So like you said, I specialize in XR. I have a podcast called XR Star. And then I also have the big reveal, which is my newsletter and YouTube channel that highlights the top 10 latest cool things I see in technology that I think everyone should know about. So yeah, that's kind of bringing me up to date where I am today. That's certainly a unique story, Amelia. I don't think we'll hear a another background to a future <laughs> like that. But if you think about it, you tie it together, there's creativity in both industries. So I think there's a common tie there. I actually visited that innovation lounge that you were talking about way back in, probably around 2013, maybe. Uh-huh. And it was the first time I'd seen sort of hologram technology in real life. So yeah, I, I, was, I was a big fan from way back then as well so um, oh thank you that's great to hear so i know ian's keen to get into talking about um all things topical at the moment well i was actually going to say that one of the uh, cool things about that i think that most people in technology and it particularly in sort of it sales didn't actually set out to be in that career so you probably joined the majority there (laughs) in terms of i suppose moving into the technology and uh, it's been in the news a lot recently in terms of our friends at facebook decided to invest in uh in the metaverse and calling themselves Meta. I wanted to, I suppose, they ask you the question, is the metaverse just another internet or is it a step towards the Star Trek holodeck? And by the way, I have no idea what that is. Steve mentioned that before. Or, or is it something far bigger? And the other big question to answer that is, do we actually need the metaverse? Those are all really good questions. Yeah, so the metaverse is the future of the internet, the next iteration, Web 3.0, if you will. And it is going to be a decentralized network of immersive spaces that connect to create one kind of universe. So there's a lot that goes into this. Number one, they're like the World Wide Web today is not owned by a single entity. The metaverse should not be owned by a single entity. And that's a huge challenge because it means companies cooperating and working together. And then also interoperability, making it easy enough to go from one world into another like we do go from one website into another. So one of the biggest things that differentiates the metaverse from the internet that we have today is the World Wide Web was largely created by 
academics and technologists and governments as a way to share information across geographic locations. And the consumer side of it was kind of an afterthought. And with the metaverse, it is being developed by big tech companies with no government oversight, with consumer data at its core. And, um, and that is slightly concerning, but it is just something to be aware of. So what we have today is a multiverse. So things like Fortnite, Roblox, Minecraft, Horizon, um, Spatial, all these different spaces, they have their own ecosystems, their own economies and currencies but there's no way to move from one into the other. So moving forward, we need to be able to come up with ways that we can bring our identities with us, bring our virtual wallets with us, all these kind of things, our skins, our avatars, our NFTs, make it interoperable. So that's what I mean by that. And, um, and one of the ways that we're going to be able to accomplish this is relying on blockchain technology because of its ability to make trustless interactions and, um, and being able to have transparency between companies. Because what we're really talking about is all these big tech companies having to collaborate and share data, which you know goes against many of their current ethos. So we're asking a lot of them to do this. And, um, and blockchain really does offers us the opportunity to share data in a trustless kind of way. So yeah, I mean, the metaverse, do we need it? <laughs> I think that is going to be the biggest kind of hurdle that we are looking at, to be honest. It offers us lots of opportunities. And I think when it comes to collaborating in a corporate kind of way, when it comes to businesses and physical collaboration, it makes a lot of sense. And, um, and then also there's the entertainment aspect of it, you know, bringing people together. You know, we all just spent the last year and a half, two years isolated in our homes. And there's lots of challenges about the metaverse and XR. And one of the things is that it's hard to market because unless you're trying it, unless you're in it, it's really hard to explain how impactful it can be, you know, through copy or through commercials or, or that kind of a thing. But what we're going to see is the cost coming down in the next couple of years as competition goes up. In terms of, um, you know, we've all seen virtual reality and probably clues to the metaverse in some games that we've seen and travel-based apps that I've heard of people using when they've been in lockdown where you can go off and uh, travel the world virtually. Most of the guests that we've spoken to, one of the things that we ask actually is what's your favourite tech gadget? And a good number of them have actually come out and said, my VR headset, you know, that is so far the, I think, probably the most favourite gadget of all, which is quite surprised about. But I suppose I can see it been really big in sports, entertainment, theatre, the ability to go into a virtual theatre and to do all those really sort of cool things that you could do, pick your seats, etc. But what I'm really interested to see is, you know, what uses have you seen in the corporate or the, or the likes of the public sector so far for um, VR and XR? Yeah, so for me, I think use of XR in enterprise is going to be one of the biggest drives forward. 
And we're seeing it really take off in healthcare, as well as areas such as property and real estate, education. There's a huge opportunity in education. So one of um, the things now that's really cool, for instance, like the latest Vive headset, they have Sync, which is their way to conduct business inside virtual reality and collaborate across geographic locations. We just saw Microsoft Mesh introduce their future of what they think Teams is going to look like when you start to integrate these technologies within those kind of video conferencing sites. So all these companies are are definitely planning on this. It is happening. But I would also say it's not just confined to virtual reality headsets. So between about 2023 and 2027, we're going to see an influx of AR glasses coming into our, our lives, our business, as well as our lives. And also, we're going to see augmented reality, mixed reality pinned within our geographic locations. So if we're wearing these glasses and walking down the street, we will have the opportunity to see digital advertisement, to gamify our walk to work, to have all these kind of added digital experiences within our lives. And um, that's adding on digital content into our physical world as opposed to completely going into a digital world. So I think those are all things to consider. But yeah, I mean, as far as we're seeing, like for instance, I mentioned healthcare, being able to deal with this huge influx of mental health issues that we have seen Um, especially in post-pandemic. So being able to prescribe virtual reality for people to work on phobias, work on depression, anxiety, all these kind of things. And we've also seen it being used to train doctors and nurses and surgeons. And the numbers are terrific, saying that you're able to retain 250% more than you would in just regular studying on a textbook. And so that is going to be really impactful and allow us to democratize healthcare in a really interesting way. I mean, I think it's going to be hugely impactful when it comes to developing countries and um, and being able to share information, expertise, training, leadership, education, all these kind of things in a really democratized kind of way, as well as you know inclusion when it comes to diversity and um, and working with people with disabilities. And things. So there's lots of opportunities there. And that's just kind of one small area of a huge industry. But where I'm seeing a lot of my clients using it today is when it comes to training. One of the hurdles we have is XR headsets are very much seen as shared technology still. So that is something that the headset companies are looking to change in the next couple of years to make it into personal devices rather than shared devices. So, you know, everyone must have their own pair of AR glasses, you know, by 2025. That's the expectation for a lot of companies that are getting into this area. And Things that are going to really dramatically affect this is our networking. So moving into, by 2025, 50% of the world will have access to 5G. Also, there's edge computing and, um, and cloud. And when we can push the processing from the headsets into the cloud, then our headsets will become lighter, 
They will become more stylish. That will also bring prices down. And also, we're going to see the market become saturated. So all these companies are going to be competing with each other to um, to sell us these glasses so the prices will come down. I mean, currently, you mentioned Facebook earlier. <laughs> Meta, I don't know if I can get used to calling them that. <laughs> they are actually operating at a loss. So while the Oculus Quest 2 headset made up 75% of the market in the last year, That means that all those other headset companies are competing for only 25% of the market. They're undercutting themselves. So they're selling the headsets at a loss. They actually lost $6 billion last year. So how many other companies can afford to operate at a $6 billion loss? But when it comes to the future of the metaverse, I am not betting on Facebook personally, where I really have hope is for Epic Games to continue to play a bigger role in um, the future development of the metaverse. They are behind Fortnite and Unreal Engines, and they're very quietly making their impact known from the inside out. So they're doing things like buying up whole sections of business that used to be paid for add-on bolt-ons, and they're making it free through their network. And so this is really giving them more power to decide what is going to be paid for, what is going to be relevant, which companies are going to be relevant, and which ones aren't. Also, Roblox is really one to watch too. And Microsoft, when it comes to enterprise, is probably the best suited because it has an entire metaverse stack, um, everything from edge computing and cloud all the way through the HoloLens, the hardware and the software. And um, and so they're really interesting too. Yeah, great for that. And uh, fascinating to hear because I, I was listening to a podcast recently and uh, I didn't realize that that gaming sector is actually really, really powerful in, in, in terms of influence. I think somebody was saying that the gaming sector is, is as big now as your traditional media channels. So Sky News, Fox News, BBC and the travel industry put together in terms of revenues and gross margin generated, which gives them huge scope, doesn't it? And it's relatively unheard of, really. Absolutely. And one thing I think is, is important to remember is the and take into consideration is the impact that Gen Z is going to have on this market. So by 2025, Gen Z will make up 25% of the market. And, you know, currently games like Roblox, 50% of their users are under the age of 13. So these are all kids who have grown up already in these little multiverses. So they're familiar with the metaverse and what it means and what it can do in ways that you know, people like me, millennials, aren't as familiar with. And so them moving into the workplace is going to have a really significant impact on the adoption of these technologies in the next 10 years. I guess they're going to be the, um, we need them to come through and be the content creators as well. If, you know, there's going to be a shortage, that's going to be a real in-demand skill set. Is there enough people there to create the content to bring that price point down? Or is that going to sort of prohibit the rollout into that enterprise space? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, we're seeing, you know, we're seeing big companies buy up entire content creator businesses and agencies at the moment. And then, I mean, there's a huge opportunity in the metaverse. So you think about it, like companies at one point all had to have a website and then they all had to have a Facebook page. And pretty soon they're all going to have to have this digital twin in the metaverse and be able to link up all these different parts of their business and have a place within it. 
creating that inside the metaverse could be quite costly um, at the moment. I think if you're going to start doing it, it, it would be quite costly. But what we're going to see is these um, companies creating libraries of environments, of things that, that people can lease. And we're already seeing this on a smaller scale within some of these little multiverse games that are happening. So it's like we have the example of what the metaverse could be already, but it's it's still small within its own contained game. And personally, it's, you know, I find it quite cumbersome, almost claustrophobic, having the equipment so close to your face. You know, I'm keen to see it developing. And when you said personal devices, etc., getting smaller, is it just going to look like Google Glass? Where else can that go? Sure. Well, I mean, glasses, they'll look like regular glasses. So you can have them in whatever style you want. You can have them in your prescription. So they'll just be normal looking. I mean, an example of sort of where it's headed, I got to try the Facebook's Ray-Ban stories the other day, which are sunglasses. And they're similar. There's, They're not groundbreaking in that there's other glasses that have been out for years that do the same things, but maybe not all in one pair of glasses. But they look like a sexy pair of Ray-Bans that I would wear down the street and you wouldn't know that they were they were special. But that is also one of the things that causes controversy because um, who wants to, you know, be vulnerable to be recorded without your consent? And uh, if everybody's walking around with cameras on their face all the time, you know, what does that do to us as a society? Also, we are giving permission to these companies to view the world through our eyes. And this is going to give them so much more data on us, intimate data, emotional data. They will know every time we've lied, every time we've committed a crime. They will know what we are like with our partners. Um, They'll know who we like, who we don't like, all these kinds of things. And then all this data becomes stuff that they can use to manipulate us to buy more things that we don't need, you know? So uh, in the future, when you see advertisements in the metaverse or even outside of the metaverse, we will see it evoke things like memories of past events or, um, or somebody who reminds us of our mother or our best friend or somebody we hate. Um, these kind of triggers that will get an re- emotional reaction out of us and make us more likely to engage and um, and spend time and attention in these areas. So that's one of the things that, that we have to consider when we're looking at these technologies as well. Yeah, I, I love it when we take the conversation to that sort of bigger questions about the ethics around it. And you can see both the good and bad aspects. And it, it makes me think sort of Facebook have done the metaverse at a time when there's a lot of controversy about data collection and what's what happens with that data. But it seems to me that jumping into this metaverse is actually that next layer of capturing that data and the things that you've just mentioned. So, you know, it sounds all very exciting now, but I'm sure the conversation will return back to those type of questions shortly as well. Well, that's why Facebook are so keen to be at the center of it. So um, I think there was a leaked email in about 2017 where Zuckerberg was saying, you know, we missed the mobile internet because it's dominated by Google, Android and Apple iPhone. So they want to be at the center of the next iteration of the internet, which is why they are being so loud about it. But personally, I think there's a big chance that Facebook's going 
going to get canceled by this Generation Z who see them as their parents' generation. And because they're constantly in the news over perceived human rights violations around data and security and privacy and monopolies and all these kind of things, you know, I I think that there's a big chance that the vote will go towards companies who are more keen to be transparent and to protect privacy and data and companies that this generation are familiar with, like, you know, Epic Games, Fortnite, Minecraft, which is owned by Microsoft and uh, Roblox. Um, You know, there's also I haven't even really touched on um, some of the big companies coming out of Asia that are, um, you know, that stand a chance like uh, ByteDance who own TikTok and they now own Pika. Yeah, I mean, it's really, it's interesting to see where it goes. I mean, I think maybe you've already picked up on it, but my personal hope is that we don't live in a Facebook world. I quit Facebook years ago and um, and I really have a hard time even using things like Instagram. And I, I think we have the opportunity with going into the metaverse to either improve the internet or to make it worse. And, you know, especially when we start to include things like AI and that integration, I think we have to be really careful and make sure that we are instilling the values that we want for the future of the internet into these technologies now and really advocating and fighting for them. Yeah, no, that's a really, really good point there, I mean, and uh, I suppose in terms of that ability and that power we're handing to these large companies in terms of our data, and I know uh, one one thing you picked up on there that I think the next generation coming through and, you know, their opinions, they're they're very um, driven by companies that do the right thing. And, yeah, you're quite right, Facebook are seen as a big, bad tech company from our generation rather than, I suppose, the people out there that are doing the right thing and and doing it for the right reasons as well. Mm -hmm. In terms of that, I know some of the technologies in in, in your uh, YouTube channel, um, you've uh, shared your sort of top 10 uh, technologies that you think are coming through, which is fascinating. I listened to one just the other evening Mm -hmm. and uh, it was mind-blowing some of the technologies you're talking about uh, one of the ones on there that i found fascinating was uh, there was a company that you mentioned that did temperature sensing um you could sense temperatures basically have a snowball fight and you could feel the chill of the snowball when it hits you and uh, the same with uh, throwing fireballs at each other and, and stuff like that um you know have you got any sort of tips in terms of some of those technologies that are coming through next? Yeah, I mean, I love that one. That one really blew me away. Um, so bringing temperature into um, the the sensations. I mean, we're also seeing smell coming in. Haptics, I, I love. Um, so being able to feel things virtually. I'm a huge fan <laughs> of Ultra Leap. Um, they don't pay me. I talk about them all the time, but they know, you know, <laughs> I'm, I'm their number one fan and marketer. But that's midair virtual touch sensation. So you feel they use sono technology to be able to feel um, things in midair without actually having to touch things. And their hand tracking ability um, is is kind of second to none. So that's really amazing. You know, I, I still... One of my favorite gadgets that I have is my Bose AR sunglasses, and they allow me to listen to music through my sunglasses. And um, I do like the new Ray-Bans as well, and they are very tempting to um, to look at, but 
but I, like I said, I just have, I just told you I have a problem with Facebook, so I don't know if I'll be getting those or not. <laughs> well, in, in the northwest of England, Amelia, we have a problem with the weather, so walking around in sunglasses is um, sure. is not the norm up in these parts. So maybe we'll have to wait for the um, the contact lens version. Hopefully, we'll get there soon. Yeah, well, I mean, two two years ago, the contacts debuted at. CES in 2019, the Mojo lens, they weren't actually quite wearable at the time. And where they're going is is into the healthcare market first. So they're seeing it being used by people like surgeons and stuff before it becomes available for the public. But that that is happening. Wow. Yeah, I've, uh, I was reading an article the other day, and it was actually saying that, you know, over the next sort of five to 10 years, humans are actually going to be become superhuman with some of the technologies that are coming out. So you know, we'll have sight better than 2020 vision, which was always the dream. We'll be able to hear more than than probably some animals and stuff like that. So it's crazily scary where it's all going. But uh, but yeah, huge benefits in healthcare and other areas. But what one of the main questions that I'm always interested in as well is uh, our, our audience are all companies that are, are selling into sectors such as retail, education, manufacturing, which you have briefly touched upon. If we were having, you know, conversations with our customers, what advice or tips would you give them about VR, XR, um, and selling into the, I suppose, companies that are interested in the metaverse? Absolutely. I mean, I think it's, I would say just kind of definitely it's important if you haven't already started on this track that you get started soon because otherwise you will be left behind. And um, to start integrating it by doing trials, um, finding the areas in your company and your business that you think this can cut down on costs, accelerate. And there are plenty of areas like that from things like onboarding, um, training in soft skills, training in leadership, as well as things like manufacturing and design. There's a lot of different areas that this can really assist. And I think now we're at a place where we have proven that this can cut costs and accelerate. And we have those case studies now. So it's not as much of a gamble as it was to get involved in this, you know, four or five years ago. By starting these kind of trial things within your company, you'll be able to then prove the ROI of it. And hopefully that will give you this kind of segue into going with bigger projects. Because I mean, there's whole companies now who run their daily meetings and stuff inside their own you know, multiverse, their own platform, and um, like companies like HTC and Microsoft. And these are technologies that are giving them an edge over their competitors. And I think that is going to be the key driver moving forward. But as I mentioned before, you know, there's a lot of different things that have to line up in order for these to become more mainstream. And uh, that is very much going to happen in the next couple of years. And networking, computational power, processing, all those things really figure into what we can do with these technologies. Also, there's some work to be done within the industry around making content more available or making it um, 
making it known where people can get the right software. Um, I think there's been a really big focus around hardware for a long time, but I think moving that, shifting that into a focus around software and content is going to be important as well. Yeah, I'm sure security will be a big play as well in the metaverse because uh, you know people don't want their uh, virtual world getting targeted, do they? So that, that's going to be that's going to be huge. And security is already a, a big enough sector as it, as it is in its own right. Absolutely, it's going to open up all kinds of new areas, all kinds of new jobs. We're going to need people to be able to protect our virtual wallets, um, to have kind of locked spaces within the metaverse. Also, just security monitoring. Uh, moderating these environments. I mean, at the moment, because there really is no oversight and this is an industry that demands that, you know, it needs to have a bit of oversight or else it could all go terribly wrong. You know, um, what happens when the dark web comes to the metaverse? You know, how at the moment we don't have any laws in place that will address people abusing avatars that, you know, maybe, maybe they're AIs and they don't really exist, but is that okay? You know, is, um, or is that something that we punish? And, you know, if people are doing things inside the metaverse, are they going to be more likely to then think that they can get away with those same actions outside the metaverse? You know, we know that these technologies are powerful enough to rewire the brain. And that is, that is something that we need to pay attention to if we're going to be spending a lot more time inside these, these areas, these universes. Yeah, great. No, um, that, that's really interesting. And, uh, and in terms of, um, you know, one of the things that I'm fascinated about, and I can just see the amount of revenue and money that the large sporting companies will, will be able to make. So football stadiums, NFL, uh, cricket, all those particular sports, they'll be able to pack out their their actual stadium and then sell virtual tickets to the same game as well, potentially. Are you seeing any or hearing of any activities that where, where that's already happening? Or? Yeah, so the sports industry is actually really leading when it comes to investment inside the metaverse, into WebXR, into NFTs. Um, they're really embracing it, which is exciting to see because I think they recognize what a huge opportunity it is, um, especially when it comes to broadcasting, as you mentioned. And we're seeing kind of stadiums starting to be developed or strategies for stadiums being developed with ways to 3D capture the action that is going on. And it does open up so many more areas, revenue streams for these companies, and also just to really make people feel more involved, um, to get people more excited. You know, when you can have your favorite celebrity sports star stood in your living room having a conversation with you as if they're really there, that is something we've never been able to experience before. So I think there's going to be lots of opportunities there as well as in the entertainment industry when it comes to concerts. I think it's going to be a huge part of the future of the metaverse. I think we've seen this already with things like the concerts in Fortnite. So during the lockdown, there was the Travis Scott concert, which was about 15 minutes, and that attracted 12 million viewers. And there's never been a concert that's had 12 million viewers. And um, and so that is pretty incredible. But I will point out that from a computational point of view, for those concerts, it wasn't 12 million people all watching the same thing at once. They were little groups of 50 people in sort of, say, a room watching the concert. So we don't yet have the computational power to put 
hundreds, thousands, millions of people inside the same environment to watch the same thing at the same time. But this will grow and this will change. But, um, you know, that's just something to be aware of about where we are now. Wow. Okay. Yeah, I was going to say, I don't know who'd be the most excited uh, if I had Cristiano Ronaldo virtually in, the, in, in our lounge, if it would be me or the wife. Uh, <laughs> I, I think uh, you've covered off that, that subject and uh, most of our questions really well there, Amelia, and really thank you for, for joining us. And uh, there's some exciting technologies coming downstream. Um, there's some companies there that I'm going to go and have a look at in terms of the, the kind of stuff that they're producing. Yeah, I've, I've really enjoyed that, Amelia. So what I'm seeing as a little bit of a, a a trend in some of our conversations is, and when I'm thinking about how we apply these emerging technologies in the enterprise space, I'm sort of really pleased to see that it's driven by that consumer experience. And we've seen that in retail with Amazon, we've seen it in banking with those disruptive banking apps. And yeah, I think it's going to be applicable across all the sectors as well. So it gives a voice to the consumer, which is fantastic. Yeah. Good. I'm glad. It was great to talk to you guys today. Thank you for having me. Great. And then likewise, thanks for taking the time to speak to Steve and I. And great to have you on the podcast. And good luck with uh, everything in the future. And we'll hopefully speak to you soon. Thank you. Take care. Thanks for listening to this episode of ASM Connected, the podcast from ASM Technologies with guest Amelia Coleman. If you want to find out more about the team at ASM Technologies or about anything discussed in this podcast, visit asmtech.com. And if you've enjoyed this episode, subscribe now and never miss an update. Thanks for listening to ASM Connected.